and gentlemen, we are back with another Offside Hockey Talk. And we cannot wait to fill your ears with a bunch of Leafs talk. I know Leafs Nation is a little bit of panic right now. Leafs Nation's a little bit broken, just like John Tavares' finger. I'm wondering, Doug, what is your instant reaction, your instant gut feeling to hearing that John Tavares is going to be out of the lineup until November? Um, so the report that I saw said that he's going to be out uh, for two weeks um, at least. Um, it, it takes longer than two weeks for a broken finger, fi- uh, broken finger, for a broken finger to heal. Um, straight up, you're not you're not going to come back in two weeks from a broken finger. Uh, you're being crazy optimistic. You know, it's you're you're talking at least uh, three to four weeks in a splint if it's actually broken. Um, we have no idea how badly it's broken and what direction it's like. You know, if you get a lengthwise fracture in your finger, never mind a break, a fracture in your finger, like you're talking like it can be like, you know, two months of recovery to get get away from that. Um, I know hockey players are tough. We don't know which finger it is. We don't know which hand it's on, do we? Like, I'm sure if you looked at the footage, you could figure it out. But I, offhand, I, I certainly don't know. That's that's and that's not a pun. No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen which hand it is uh, as of yet. By looking at the video, it looks like it might be his left hand, um, maybe an index or ring finger. But you know what? Suffice to say, it's going to be tough for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But here's the good thing, Doug. This is the reason why this team went out in the summertime and got all of this depth. So we still have Austin Matthews. You can shift William Nylander to the center. You have Kerfoot. You have Spezza. You have Shore. Goche, the list goes on down the center. Is it as strong as when you have Tavares in there? No, but now you're going to find out what you have in some of these guys, like Anelia Mikheyev, like a Trevor Moore, that you have to lean on a little bit more now because these guys are going to be out of the lineup. And when I say these guys, you still have Zach Hyman out, you have John Tavares out, and Travis Dermott out, which Travis Dermott looks like he could be drawing back in very soon. But this definitely hurts the Leafs on a night where you already were up 2-0 against the Washington Capitals. You blow the game, and you end up losing 4-3, to fighting to try to get back into the game, which is just ridiculous. Well, the, the playbook is out on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, hit them. Like, seriously. If you go out and, and you hit the Maple Leafs, you're going to throw them off their game. They're not going to be able to accomplish what they need to accomplish. Um we're a team that outskates the other team. Like that's that's how we win games is we outskate, we outskill the other teams. Um Washington is a skilled team and yet the playbook was still hit the Maple Leafs. Um I'm not saying that we need to go out and get guys that can hit cuz like I said I said this very last episode. This this is this the type of hockey is is different. It's changed. You can't have dedicated hitters. You can't have guys that their only job, their only skill is hitting the other guys, be it with their fists or their shoulders. That just doesn't work anymore. Um, you look at the Tom Wilson hit on Tavares. Tom Wilson is is an excellent uh, overall player. He's not just a body checking fiend. Um, yeah, I just that's <laughs> that's I don't know. Like, what do you do to get these guys to start hitting? What do you get guys like? How do you convince guys like um, Mikheyev? Who doesn't even like? And I'm picking on. I'm not picking on Mikheyev. He just comes to mind as an example of a guy that it's difficult to communicate that stuff to simply because of the language. I'm sure there's someone that can explain that to him. But similarly, how do you communicate that to a guy like Mitch Marner, to to William Nylander, um, 
to, to all of these guys to, to shore what you tell them go out and hit more. Like it's easy to say that as a coach, it's easy to easy, even easier to say that as a player, it's harder to get them to affect that, to change the way they play the game. The only guy that's been doing that effectively recently is Frederick Gauthier. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would argue to a lesser extent, you know, Trevor Moore as well. He's a guy who has no problem mucking it up and a guy who's been actually using his body a whole lot who we're going to talk about a little bit more later on in the show is Jake Muzzin. This guy is using the body to squeeze guys off pucks. He's throwing the big hits. He's doing all of the physical things you need. But like you just said, even if you point out the fact that Moore and Gauthier are doing a little bit of hitting, you can't just have three guys. It has to be, you know, by committee. Everybody has to be doing it. Everybody has to buy into these factoids. Otherwise, it's irrelevant because then you're just waiting for Jake Muzzin to get on the ice to throw a hit. These guys all yeah. have to grind it out. They all have to work together as a cohesive unit to get this thing done. You know, Matthews has the frame to be able to grind out and be, you know, a Ryan Getzlav-esque kind of guy. Grind it out, great two-way forward, do all those things. And we're seeing him do the back check. But I want to see him, he doesn't need to lay the big open ice hits. But I want to see him put guys into the boards, you know, when they're, they're battling for a puck. I want to see him sick guys down. You know, even... Um, even Miguel Gorbaski at one point sat down Zdeno Chara, you know, and that was one of the highlight things that happened a few seasons ago. I think it was five or six seasons ago, to be honest. But when that happened, everybody was up and, you know, clapping and cheering. These are things that you can do to not only affect the way the game is played, like you just said, the book is out on the Maple Leafs, everybody knows, hit them, grind them, beat them to a pulp, and you can get the game in your hands. Well, the Leafs need to just have a little bit of pushback and that might, you know, it might change things. And guys like Zach Hyman and Trevor Moore, they drive people to that kind of play. So hopefully when Hyman comes back, it's just another catalyst pushing the rest of the guys into that notion of making sure you hit. And again, last night we had Hutchinson in net. I'm not sold on him anymore. I'm not sold on him being the, the backup goaltender of this team. And people could say, you know, the Leafs keep hanging him out to dry. There comes a point where you are a goaltender in the NHL, backup or starter, where you have to make the saves. You have to go out and make a couple of big saves to either help your team or revitalize your team, especially on a back-to-back situation. And it doesn't seem like Hutchinson can do that. And it seems like this entire team, and I said this before, when they get down or they start to feel the momentum slipping, the body language changes for everyone. You can see it on the bench. You can see it on the ice. It just seems like a different team. Like the air is let out of the balloon. And it needs to freaking change. Well, now, James, just, just a couple of days ago, what did I say? I said, you you can't have your backup goaltender go in against the Washington Capitals and, and expect him to put up a, a one or two goal game. He's going to give up somewhere between three and five goals. You have to play like that. The Leafs didn't play like that. Straight up. Hutchison kept them in the game. He, like, like I know, like one of the, like even Steve Dangle said, you know, maybe one of those four goals, Hutchison stopped. We get an extra point. You can't, you absolutely cannot hang this on Hutchison. He did his job as a backup goalie. He's not supposed to be as good as Frederick Anderson. Anderson probably would have stopped two of those goals. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of the the two slap shot goals where Hutchison froze. That's why Hutchinson's a backup goaltender. That's why he's not a starting goaltender. You have to go into the game expecting that to happen. We didn't play like that. Um. Our play in the first period, a lot of people like said that, oh, man, it was so good. They got those two goals, and they actually started on time. No, I, I strongly disagree with that. 
what I saw was two teams that didn't start on time instead of just one, uh, and the Leafs were just less bad at it in the first period. As far as I'm concerned, we were lucky in the first period that we were able to get two goals. Um, I think that showed up at the end of the first one when Washington got the one back. But here's here's the thing. Here's what I really want to harp on about for a little bit. Second periods should be the Toronto Maple Leafs period 100% of the time. We're a faster team. We're generally younger than probably 90% plus of the, of the league. We should be taking advantage of the tougher line changes with the uh, with the bench being further away from, from the other team and, and not being hampered by them. And that's absolutely what seems to happen over and over again is our guys lag getting back to the bench. We're young. We're fast. What the hell is that? What that that simply is just that's crap. It that's was brought not up a few years ago level. that the the Maple Leafs are horrible on the change. I mean, they used to single out uh, Nazem Kadri and Tyler Bozak, and I'll reference Steve Dangle again. You know, they they looked at how they changed. They changed like beer league players. They slowly yep. get over the boards. They slowly get off the icy coast. They don't hustle to the bench. So yes, I 100 percent agree with you. I, I just it it just kills me. There's no way that we should be giving up four goals in the second period period uh, you know what i'll maybe i'm wrong maybe there is a cer- scenario because to be fair now be, being fair being level-headed we have the same issue as other teams right when you have that that far away line change to deal with with the bench further away from your your, your own end but to not score at all in response against against washington who's been flagging through the beginning of the year that is so frustrating People are going to say, oh, well, this is this is Babcock, this is Dubas, this is Shanahan, this is Hutchison. It's none of those. This is the players themselves. This is exactly why we lost against Boston, is there's no fucking heart on this team. And I'm sorry, I swear, we might have to add a bleep to that later, but it's driving me up the freaking wall that these guys will not put the effort in every single game, every single shift. I, th- this is the whole point of this stupid rebuild was that we wouldn't have to deal with this crap anymore. And instead, it's becoming a game-by-game, a shift-by-shift issue. What is it? What what needs to change? People are going to say, oh, well, maybe these players don't want to buy into Babcock systems. Maybe they don't like being coached by Babcock, blah, blah. That That's a pile of crap, all right? You're a professional hockey player. You have an excellent coach. So what if you don't like him? Get the hell over it. Uh, if anything, you should be using that as motivation and an extra energy to give yourself when you get frustrated at your coach. Uh, one of my favorite years of uh, baseball, I despised one of my coaches. But you know what? When he hollered at me to, to haul ass around third base because I played baseball, uh, you better believe that I ran hard. Like, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking that, screw this guy, I'm not going to run hard. No, I'm thinking that, no, I'm going to run even harder, and I'm getting angry and upset and frustrated and using that to make myself run harder. Why can't these guys that are getting paid millions of dollars a year, probably millions of dollars at this point and more than they should be getting paid, do the same thing? I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, there's a couple things that I'm going to say. I know um, most people, we didn't get to touch on this the last bit of the podcast, but on the weekend I did speak with uh, via Twitter with Craig Button about the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he referenced the fact that since last Christmas, you know, the team... The Leafs are 23-20-7 with a 165 goals for and goals against. Now, this doesn't factor in the Detroit game or the um, the games that we just had. But this is just before the Detroit game on Saturday. So, you know, it's a very average team if you look at it. That's one team that does not qualify for the playoffs. So I followed it up by saying to Craig, you know, do you think it lies with the system being deployed for the players 
because they they have changed. Obviously, we have a lot of turnover on this team, and yet it's still the same problem. Or is it just the fact that the group hasn't fully gelled yet and doesn't have a full complement of players? Obviously, you're looking at Hyman for the forecheck and the PK, and Dermot on the PK as well. Now John Tavares being out. Craig said, you know, I would say it's all of that, but the, the concern he has is a player like Jake Muzzin, who was positionally strong and disciplined for the Kings, pushing out of a strong position and getting outside the dots at times with the Leafs. So it's a systematic... It's systematic of the Leafs' system, in his opinion. You watch Vegas, they are sound positionally. So basically he's saying what he's seeing is it has to do with the system that is being deployed. Because it's the same player, like if you look at from last year, and now you're having the same results this year, and you've now changed the players. We've talked about it at nauseum how much we've changed the guys and how many new guys there are. So if you're having these same results in the same system with different players... When does it finally come back to the fact that it may be the systems being deployed? I mean, I just, I don't see the same systems. Like people keep saying that, oh, it's the same, same thing from Babcock. Same, same, like I just, we have different breakouts. We have different, different neutral zone. We're not doing the stupid stretch pass anywhere near as much. We have different neutral zone play. We have different Mm -hmm. break-ins. Primary example being the power play break-in with five guys across the line. Um, that was because I, I we got stifled in the first few games. I just, but I just don't, I just don't see the similarity in systems that like, well, one you know, thing I'll say the similarity, look at last night against the Washington Capitals, whose ass was stapled to the bench with the game on the line. Austin okay, Matthews. So yeah, no, but now again, I, this is something I've seen all over Twitter. Did no one actually watch the end of the hockey game? Like, and not take their eyes off the screen. We had the puck in their end. You're not going to disrupt a minute and a half of holding a team in their end to swap guys out and get them on. That's just, that's not how hockey works. That's just, you, you don't do that. You're going to give up. The, like, that's just, that's just not how it works, man. Like you can't, you're not going to be able to, you, the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you swap a defenseman in it. And that's just ridiculous. You're going to disrupt the, uh, the ability to, to move the puck around. I have no problem with how the end of that game went. We, we controlled the puck. The only issue I really had is that we didn't shoot the puck enough. But that's that's like that's a, a tale as old as the Leafs are, is, is the Leafs getting the puck in the opposing end and passing it 15 million times instead of shooting it. I We've actually just that had that conversation with Caberlet on the weekend. Thomas Caberlet, he was here in Nova Scotia. And I got to, uh, there was nobody in the booth, so I got to sit there and, and just ham it up with him for a second. And the first question I asked him, I said, why when, when you were at the Toronto Maple Leafs, we all knew that you had a good shot. We've seen it in the All-Star game, for crying out loud. I said, why didn't you shoot the puck more? And he just laughed and said, well, I was always told I was a really good passer, so I didn't shoot. Oh, my God. So, you know, maybe it's ingrained in these guys. Maybe maybe someone's telling them. Who knows, right? But I agree with you. But the only thing I, I will say to back up my own point about Austin Matthews not being on the ice, we see teams throw a player or switch a player quickly in those scenarios all the time to get more firepower. I'll use the Washington Capitals as an example. They always, when they pull the goaltender, if Ovechkin's not on the ice, they find a way to get Ovi on the ice. They find a way to get him in there so that way they can try to get that goal because obviously he's one of the the purest shooters in the NHL. Same thing with Patrick Laine. You can go down the list. I, I think you'd want to find a way to get Austin Matthews out there to at least, like you just said, get a shot on net by one of the purest shooters in the NHL. But something I want to throw at you, Doug, I'm wondering if this team 
likes to play from behind. We've been joking all year long. Actually, what, three years now about the Leafs starting not on time. And if you go to uh, the lovely NHL.com when it finally works for you, I went and looked at shot attempts for the Maple Leafs when they are ahead and shot attempts when the Maple Leafs when they are behind. What do you think they play better in? When they are ahead or when are they behind? What do you think, Doug? Well, just just basing off of the number of uh, times we've lost the lead in the past two, three years, I'm going to go ahead and guess and say that they play better from behind. Well, you look at it like this. For this season alone, so shot attempts when the Maple Leafs are leading, they are a negative five for shots. Shot attempts when they are behind and trying to chase the game, they are a positive 28. That makes sense, though. Like, if, you, if, you're, a, if you're behind, you want to play more aggressively, right? I'd Definitely. Be more upset but if it was the other way around. The thing that concerns <laughs> me is shot attempts when you're ahead. The top teams, like Vegas, obviously Buffalo's not a top team, but they are right at this moment in the standings. Calgary, you know, teams like that, they are shot attempts when they're ahead. They're, they're up higher, right? They're 22 shots, 20, 19, you know, and when they're behind... They lag the other way. So I'm wondering, does this team get more urgency and more thing, like you just said, when they're behind and they play better and then they catch up? I don't know. But it, to me, it's I'd want more balance on that, wouldn't you? You would want to make sure that you, you're you having you know good shots when you're ahead and good shots when you're behind. You, know, you wouldn't always want to be chasing the game in such a positive manner. I don't know. Just something that I, stuck I, out I, to me when I read the stats. I've been on teams that operate that way. Um, it's totally possible to be a successful team, hockey, baseball, lacrosse, football, whatever, and not get the first point and, and to do that con- uh, consistently. It's totally possible. The Leafs aren't that. The Leafs don't win when we're behind um, to start the game. They, they, I would be, I want, the statistic I would want to know is how many of these games that we have that we where we start down and start low. What percentage of them are we winning? And I bet it's not that great. One thing that I want to jump back to. Whoa. Sorry, folks. One thing I want to jump back to is um, the Maple Leafs. Uh, holy crap! I dropped my phone and I lost my train of thought. The uh, is the Maple Leafs record. Everybody's talking about last year's record. And oh, if you go back to December of last year. Uh, then they have like a 500 record. Okay, this isn't the same hockey team as last year. It isn't. It's a completely different hockey team. You, 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 I mean, if you want to go back, you can say, well, you know, the Leafs since 2010 have only uh, are like t- 30 games under 500 or something. Big friggin' whoop. The past is the past. The future is now. The other, the other flip side of all of this is that two things. One, if we had won that, we first of all, everything that we just said, everything we've talked about so far, you toss it out the window. If if uh, Hutchison gets lucky on one of those saves, if the Leafs score one more time, all of a sudden we have a point and our record doesn't look that bad. If we get if you get lucky twice, then where we won that game, and all of a sudden we're five two and one instead of uh, whatever four two and three or whatever it is, or four three and one. Um, the other the other side of that is we're eight games in. This is the this is the eighth hockey game of the season. People are already calling for Babcock's head, calling for this, calling for that. You can't make that type of judgment call eight games in. Doesn't matter what does again, unless you're playing football, it just doesn't matter because there's you know because they have the short season or whatever. There's eight games in is not enough time to see what a team is made of. It just isn't. Um, aside from that, we don't have two of our stronger players 
uh, for various reasons. Hyman as a four-checker and Dermott as a defenseman. We're missing two of our stronger players, and everybody's acting like the sky's falling. Um, as far as I'm concerned, we've got more points than we didn't get. That's pretty good, even even taking into account last night's loss. Um, we went to one goal with, uh, with Washington. The collapse versus um, uh, Tampa Bay, uh, you can – you can isolate shifts like you know it wasn't like we stunk all 60 minutes this is the other way of looking at it is sure we haven't been playing 60 minutes of hockey but it's not like we've been playing zero minutes of hockey either um even the games that we've lost badly it's <laughs> my biggest problem doug is the games that we are leading and we are doing well i've said this to you and i've said it to you via text and everything it looks like we stop skating it looks like we Started yes. to go on autopilot, you know, oh, we're leading, we're going to win, the time. you know, and it just, you need that compete to keep going for the rest of the game to ensure that you win. And I'll use the Montreal game as a very bright example. They thought because Montreal was a lesser team than them being up four to one, that that game was in the bag. And obviously we learned it was not in the bag. And that was the body language I'm talking about right there. You look at that right there, put it under a microscope and you see as soon as the Leafs started facing adversity in that game, it was even talked about on the broadcast, they started slumping over on the bench. They started barking at each other a little bit. Then on the ice, the play was sloppy and sluggish and just, you know, what do you want to call it? In it uninspired is, is the best way to say it. So this team needs to figure itself out, look in the mirror, give their head a shake because their eyes are goddamn well stuck. They are a good team and they can figure this out and they will figure it out. I'm damn sure of it. Or there'll be a trade or Babcock will be gone. And Doug, I'm, I'm not saying right yet that Babcock will be gone. You know I'm a big supporter of Babcock. I like the way he, he coaches. I like having him as our coach. But sometimes, and Brian Burke is the biggest one to say this, everybody has a shelf life. And sometimes your shelf life wears out. And there's also coaches that get you from point A to point B. And then there's another coach that takes that ball from point B to the goal because I just, the message wears out. And I'm just saying it might not be, but there's a lot of things either way that you can argue. I don't see the sense in getting rid of Mike Babcock. For one, name an NHL coach that is available that we can replace him with. People are going to say, oh, well, you got to bring in Sheldon Keefe. Sheldon Keefe is not an NHL coach. You're taking a giant risk doing something like that, uh, especially with all these guys that we finally have locked up. To me, it just doesn't make sense to bring in an inexperienced. We just did that with our general manager. We just did that. People are complaining left and right about Dubas. I'm not going to say he's bad because I don't think he's a bad GM, but he certainly isn't one of the best ones in the league. Mike Babcock absolutely is one of the best coaches in the league. If we get rid of him, he's going to someone else will pick him up right away. Like, I'm talking like before the end of the season. Oh he'll no, be, for sure. I, I agree with else. you. The only thing I want to agree with you is um, Sheldon Keefe is one hell of a coach. Um, his the systems he employs, the things that he does to get guys ready. Obviously, it speaks volumes to what they're doing down there for the amount of players that have graduated to the Toronto Maple Leafs from the Toronto Marlies. Um, the roster is littered with them. You look at Rasmus Sandin, who was just up. You guys got, Marinson got his game figured out a little bit, and he's sticking with the club right now. Um, you go Justin Hall, uh, Andreas Janssen, Kasper Kapanen, Travis Dermott, William Nylander was down there under Sheldon Keefe. So there, Zach Hyman, the list goes on and on and on and on from guys that Sheldon Keefe's fingerprints are on that he helped mold to get to where they are now. 
on Babcock's roster. So he may have a way of holding them accountable. He may have a way of getting more out of them than Babcock can. Who knows? I'm not saying he's the guy who would be the one to come in and, and change everything. I'm not saying he's the savant, the savior. I'm just saying that is an option that's there and he does have the familiarity with the players because he's coached a lot of them and taken those guys through long playoff runs with the Marlies and ultimately to the ultimate goal of winning the Calder Cup. So, I mean, you know, he's gone through battles and wars with these guys. So I mean, it's, it's, it's so much easier to, to develop players uh, than it is to coach them at an NHL level. It's way easier to, I'm telling, I'm right now, I'm t- saying it is much easier to develop players from AHL players into NHL players, especially when they get NHL time, especially with the way the Leafs have been working for the past five years, which is that uh, Marlies get called up left and right on like a crazy basis, like all the time. Edmonton uh, would NHL like to time. test your theory. Uh, well, Edmonton seems to be a specialist. Edmonton is its own <laughs> can of worms for sure. Uh, Shout out to Edmonton fans. I'm not raining on you guys are doing well this year, but and Doug, you you can know that I said this. I said this about the Buffalo Sabers, and I'll say it about them again this year as well. The bubble will burst, and things will go back to normal normal for you guys. It's great that James Neal's doing well. It's great that Connor McDavid's leading the league. I don't see it being sustainable in Edmonton, and I don't see it being sustainable in Buffalo. But anyways, back to the Leafs. I just like I said, I the I don't see an AHL coach. Like I don't think being a really good AHL coach necessarily means you're going to be a good NHL coach. Yeah. Also, on top of all that, you have the threat of you know uh, I'll tell the NHL team that you're not you know a good team player and you won't get called up to the Leafs. What are you going to hang over the heads of guys that have that are already in the NHL? So Keith has a lot more tools at his disposal as an AHL coach than he will as an NHL coach. On top of that, he's coaching against other AHL coaches, not other NHL coaches. You have no, no this is what I mean by it's a risk. You have no idea how he's going to stack up. The, when we finally have all of our players' time, I think uh, signed. I think is the worst possible time you could be taking a risk on this guy. And anybody who kids themselves into thinking it's not a risk. It absolutely would be. You have no idea how he's going oh, to coach Oh, no, I don't think NHL you'll run into anybody who'll say it's not a risk. 100% it's a risk. I mean, anything that you do is a risk. Hiring Dubas is a risk. Signing Nylander to the deal you signed him to is a risk. Bringing in John Tavares for your cap was a risk. Everything is risk. It's just yeah. how you weigh the risks, you know, and the risk management and, and what you think may come of it. And, I mean, eventually there is going to be coming a team that is going to knock on the, the, the door of the Maple Leafs and say, hey, when are we, uh, what's going on with uh, Sheldon Keith? Can we talk to him? Can we get him on our squad? And the Leafs are making him a handsomely paid AHL coach. And, you know, there's theories of why they do that because they want him to be the heir apparent to Babcock. You know, you don't pay your AHL coach the way they are just because, you know, not just to reward him, it's to get him to stick around. And, I mean, he was happy to stay here anyways. But I digress. And, like I said, I don't want Babcock to go anywhere. Um, it's way too early in the season for that, like you've pointed out on Twitter. Um, this team, it's eight freaking games in, like you said. Um, we'll see what happens. There's one thing I want to touch on right quick before we jump into talking about life without Tavares for a little bit, and then the Boston game on the weekend. There's an interesting tidbit. I would say that Jake Muzzin has been one of the steadier defensemen for the Toronto Maple Leafs this season, and there is no, absolutely no, contract extensions being talked to Jake Muzzin. Nothing offered, nothing around the edges. No, hey, is he interested in talking through the season? You know, like some players will come out. 
Nothing has come out at all about the Leafs wanting to resign Jake Muzzin or even preliminary talks to see where everybody is. So I'm wondering, Doug, if you are Dubis, is it not, I guess, operenda number one to get a guy like Jake Muzzin signed? We're talking about the toughness, but everything else he brings, including what seems to be a pretty good amount of leadership to the locker room of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So do you see it as concerning that they haven't done this? Or do you see it as the team waiting to see what happens with Tyson Berry and Cody Cece before they make a move? I mean, personally, at this point, I'm hedging my bets on the entire team. Um, there's To all you people who are saying that, you know, the Leafs might not make the playoffs and this and that, what if they don't? What do you? What the only thing you do at this point, if the Leafs don't make the playoffs, if they have an abrupt exit from the first round again, is you blow it up. That you have to do that at that point. That it, that right? You, like you can't just throw a new coach at it and think that's going to fix everything. You're talking massive, massive changes that'll make la- like this past off season look like a joke. Um, yeah, I think that's what you do. Is is you start considering moving your big pieces, now, especially now that they're signed uh, and that their their contracts are only going to become basically more and more valuable as like especially with a guy like Marner that's locked up guy like Matthews that's locked up these guys aren't getting it done uh and you're Brendan Shanahan and you want to keep your job you have to blow it up five years right this is Babcock's fifth season yep so I mean at that point you you're like what are you doing if you're not gonna like that's you know this this is uh this is the make it or break it year uh you know if we if we make it to the second round then maybe you, you add another year on to that. But, I mean, I'd expand your question right from Barry to the entire team and then throw it back at you. Like, if this is another another first-round exit, especially if it's a crappy first-round exit, this is a year we don't make the playoffs, do you not blow up the team? No, I don't. Um, and I think the Leafs would be smart not to. Um, and I'll use a couple of teams... As my my examples, teams like the Nashville Predators, teams like the Chicago Blackhawks, who went out and blew up their team because they lost to the said Nashville Predators, um, you know, and you know went and traded Panarin and, and went and traded away, you know, key integral pieces to that squad just because they felt they needed to add something or they didn't have something. So, if you're the Maple Leafs and this season doesn't go the way that you want it, um. You look and see what you have internally for defense. And then you look and see what you're going to add or put on for defense. And does that mean you move out a Casperi Kapanen? Does that mean you move out, um, you know, a Zach Hyman um, or any of those ilk kind of players? Or do you look again at the coaching staff and say, okay, we have the players. We know that they are elite level talent players. And then you go from there. I'm sure, just like Dubas said last year, everybody is under evaluation. I'm sure it would happen again this year. And I'm sure, Doug, there would be changes. I don't know who, I don't know where, and I don't know what. But I don't think they would get rid of any of the key guys like a Matthews, a Nylander, Marner, Tavares, Riley, or Anderson. Those guys would be staying, period. Those are your, uh, your building blocks. They, I don't think they'd would move have, any of them. I would... I. I mean, I'm inclined to agree with that for the most part, um, with the exception of, my, like, I think if that you are going to go through a 
I'm not even going to call it a rebuild because, like you said, you have all those guys. You basically have your. It's retooling set. on the fly, is what you're saying. It'd be a. It'd be a. But it would be a. It would a massive retooling would be required, and I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of change would require one of those guys, two of those guys, be moved for other pieces. Um, You'd be foolish too. <sighs> you don't have anything. Everybody in the... was talking about trading Marner just a couple months ago, right? Because I mean, he because he wasn't going to sign, it was going to cost too much or whatever, yada yada yada. But maybe I mean, he does, right? but okay, but give me a second. If Marner signs the deal that he has now, he signs that in just say March. The deal's done, everything's done. None of that talk comes out. That came, that talk was born out of frustration because of the fact that everybody felt he was putting himself before the team. That's where that talk came from. If he signs that extension, none of those talks come out. Nobody even utters a word of trading Mitch Marner, and you know that. Same thing last year for William Nylander. If Willie Nylander signed his his deal that he got before the deadlines or whatever, before the season started, there wouldn't be an utter of a word of trading Willie Nylander either. Those things were born out of pure frustration is, and people thinking these Leafs guys Nation. didn't want to... <laughs> yeah, but that's where it was born from, right? If those deals were signed, there, there never would be any barking at trading those guys. Period. Other than Nick Kiprios or Brian Burke... Or those guys saying, well, they're going to have to trade, uh, you know, William Nylander. Or William Nylander won't be a, a Leaf after this summer, in my opinion. You know, those things those things are talked about like that because they're supposed to be. You know what I mean? But like I talked to you about the other night after the Wild game, you already have Kyle Dubas over in Russia. He's already scouting talent. He's already looking at former NHL talent to bring back over to this side of the pond. You know, he knows what he's going to have to do. And maybe he knows he might have to move out a Kapanen or Janssen, a Hyman. Maybe he knows he's not keeping Mikheyev. Who knows what guys it is around the fringe edges. Um, there's rumors already that Cody Cece is going to be on his way to town this season. Um, so, <laughs> Eight games in. We're eight games in. But I do want to The Cece has been, been out there for a long time, though. Yes, yes. So I do want to jump in on one guy, though. And it's Andreas Janssen. I am I'm over him. I'm 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 over him. Uh, I'm sorry if getting bumped off of your top line, whatever, isn't enough to make you start playing harder. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you what? mean Casper Kapanen? Because Janssen never got moved. Is he not? He, he wasn't playing with Matthews uh, last game, was he? I do believe he was. Well, whatever. I'm still over Andreas Janssen. He's not getting it done. Casper Kapanen isn't getting it done either. I mean, you can say the exact but same thing about him. I, two I, guys I, that I I'm said just, this the other I'm, day, though, that, that those I'm guys are cast for third-line players. Uh, yeah, no, that's – that's and yet, where where are they, right? They're on the first and second lines. I'm just – I'm I'm overthinking about these guys as top-tier players. I'm just – I'm they're not the guys that we need them to be in either case. Um, you can watch how Mikheyev played with Tavares and Marner and get an idea of someone – like – if if you have if you're throwing McCabe in there of all guys and you're getting the results you're getting if you're throwing Shore in there and you're getting the or I'm sorry uh, Moore in there and you're getting the results that you're getting what was wrong with those old guys like this is what I mean is I'm when I say that I'm over them I don't mean hey let's trade them and get rid of them but I am done with them as being first line second line guys second line isn't producing as much as it should be outside of Matthews it's not like Janssen has a ton of assists um, no yeah. Janssen's got four points in eight games so I mean. You know, he's, he's on Matthew's line. Um. Well, <laughs> hey, we'll look back at Zach Hyman. You know, Zach, we all know what Zach Hyman brings away from the puck, right? 
and he, he never has high numbers. But if you look at Andreas Janssen last year in 73 games, 20 goals, 23 assists, 43 points, plus 14. I mean, so if you extrapolate that to 82 games, maybe he has a couple more goals, a couple more assists, you know, maybe gets closer to 50 points. You know what? I'll take that as a second or third line player every day of the week, especially for the contracts they signed. Same thing with Kasperi Kapanen. He was in around the same point total as well, over 20 goals, over 20 assists. So, you know, again, I think you're saying... I don't want to throw him under the bus. No. I don't want to throw them under the bus, no. I also think you're saying, you know, it's eight games in, you know, don't panic. But then on the other hand, right now you're saying it's eight games I'm in and I'm over these guys. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. so, I'm frustrated with them. It, but I think it, it's, again, just like I said about the Mitch Marner thing, everything is born in frustration. If if, if Andreas Janssen right now had eight points in eight games, his name wouldn't even be in your mouth, even if the Leafs are in the same position. You yeah, know, so the team, as a, the team as a whole right now is, is struggling, period. Right? So, it's true. You know, this is true. If the team was doing well, these conversations we're having right now don't even exist. You know, maybe the Muslim one does because that'd be more intrigue of why he's not getting any notice of being signed. But, you know, the thing is, we're talking about all these players. Right now, we're going to go with life without Tavares. So yeah. I'm wondering, Doug, put your coach hat on. What do your lines look like without John Tavares? Just spit out a blurb and I'll spit mine out and we'll see where we shake out. <sighs> I'm going to go with uh, Marner, Matthews, and Moore. Uh, I'm going to go Nylander, Kapanen, Janssen. And I don't even care about the other two lines after that. They can work and work themselves out since they're all grinders. I mean, you know Mikheyev is going to be on the third line. You could throw Mikheyev in on that second line uh, somewhere. Maybe drop Kapanen down and put Mikheyev in his spot. Um, that might be a day-to-day type of decision. But I'd say Mikheyev on your third line somewhere. And then it's a bit of a – you know Spets is going to be playing uh, lots of fourth line minutes. Like he had, like they don't have a choice now. Well, here's how I got it shaken out. I got it: Marner, Matthews, Mikheyev. I got the next line being William Nylander, Trevor Moore, and um, Andreas Janssen. My third line is Kerfoot, Kapanen, and the infallible Mister Goat Power. And then my fourth line is going to be Timoshev, Shore, Spezza. Man, it's so easy to forget about Gautier these days. Like he's been playing so much better using his size. I don't know, man. But I know, I, know. I know that Mikheyev is going to get a boost up in minutes, and that's what I was. I was already said that on on Twitter today. You know, I said you know when you finally jump up the minutes of Mikheyev and you have him playing on the first line, and I said this to you at the beginning of the season before the puck even dropped, that you have a player coming over from the KHL. We have to be careful here. He's not used to an 82-game grind, let alone yeah. being on a first line on an NHL team against premier talent every single night. What is that going to do, A, for his mental state, B, physically? Can he keep up with the grind physically, or will his body quit out on him towards the end of the season, much like a Freddie Anderson getting tired? I'm just wondering, like I said, coming over from the KHL, finally tune athletes. I understand that, everyone. Don't jump all over me and say, hey, you know, these guys are you know, working out every day, they're in shape. A difference between leagues. The KHL is the KHL for a reason, and the NHL is the Premier League for a reason. It's different minutes, different grind, different season, and especially when you're going against some of the best of the best on the de facto first line for the Toronto Maple Leafs right now, if he gets up there. So I'm just saying, I hope they have, and I hope everyone 
has tempered expectations if he decides to start tailing off towards the end of the year because his body's getting tired. I'm just saying, watch for it. It's something I'm calling now and I call at the beginning of the season. They travel quite a bit in the KHL, don't they? So it's not like traveling is going to be that much of an issue. No, I'm not saying travel. I'm just saying hard no, minutes. Hard minutes, right? It's a lot different than playing against KHL opponents. Yammer Yager is doing good right now over in Europe. Yammer Yager and couldn't it, hang in the NHL yeah. again, right? So it's a different level of competition for a reason. I basically what I'm what I'm getting at is that like you know I I even say they like this is just offhand and I'm guessing, uh, but I would say that there's probably a, a bit more travel in the KHL. Like there is a there's a squad in China if I'm recalling correctly, that might be a bit of a boost to him the other way in that he's, like, most of his games are going to be central on the east side of the, of the United States and Canada. Um, that might actually end up helping him at least a little bit. But you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, those, you can't, we see, we've seen how it affects AHL guys. Yep. Uh, never mind KHL guys. So, and we got quite a few of them on the lead. Never mind the, the Mikheyevs. We also have, you know, guys like Moore, guys like Dermot, even though he isn't back yet. Um, Timishov. Yeah. Sandine, whether he's going to come back up. And he's Sa- just, Sandine's know, not coming back up. He's, he's done for the year. You think he's done for the year? I don't know yeah. about that. No, he no. Still he, has, he, he still is. has uh, four more games of eligibility. With yeah, no, the, it's already come out that so he's going to be down there. They want him to have uh, continuity with uh, Timothy Lilligren. They want him to run the power play. You solidify his PK game. So he's down there for the rest of the year. And that's, that's, I mean, you, that already came out from Dubas and that came out from Babcock. He said, you know, you have to be a prudent parent, you know, and, and make sure that he is prepared and ready. And they think he'll be prepared and ready for next year. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, regardless, my point is that there's, uh, there's, there's plenty of AHL or recently AHL guys on this team that are, are going to, they might not have quite the, uh, the advantage that, I'm saying Mikheyev is, is at an advantage compared to these guys because there's more travel in the KHL. Oh, for um, sure. That's, no, for sure. Yeah. I agree with you. And and you know what? This is all a mood point because when Tavares and Hyman come back, he may get shifted back down to the third line where he thrives, and that may be ideally where they want him for the year just to get his feet wet and get him ready and you know let him, let him enjoy the grind, so to speak, of an 82-game season. And this may just be a, a cookie given to him because of what he's done so far. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, Doug, before we get this wrapped up, guys, just so you know, we do the three stars and the Warrior of the Week once a week. That's on the earlier podcast, just in case you guys are wondering why they didn't show up on this one. But we have a Boston game this weekend before our next podcast. Dougie, what is going to happen Saturday night? Boston's in Toronto. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And how do we win that game? How do we win that game? Uh play 60 minutes of hockey um maybe maybe 55 minutes of hockey because it boston's getting old and tired um (laughs) (laughs) but hopefully uh i'd say for the love of god get off to a a good start get get an early lead uh hang on to it uh expand it um they, they need a they need a statement game and the way we've been playing this is the perfect game to make such a statement uh it is is it in boston no they're in toronto no, it's in Toronto, right? So it's a perfect game to make a statement. You're at home. You got the the the, the new rivals. Um, it's it's time to play. Sit down and play hockey. There are also a lot of guys going to be looking to prove themselves with Tavares gone and show that they can still get the job. A lot of times, losing a captain like that is what a team needs to to be motivated. Um, 
I, I don't know if, if that's what's going to happen, but you would hope that that's what happens. <laughs> I think my key to beating Boston on the weekend, Doug, is pretty simple. There's a guy who kills us every single time we play them. And no, ladies and gentlemen, it is not Zdeno Chara. I know that he back checks and is the ageless wonder, takes care of Matthews. I'm talking about David Pasternak. If you take the time and you guard this guy, I don't care if you glue Kerfoot to him, Spezza, Shore, shadow him. Put someone on him like we did the one time with Corson against Michael Pekka. Just make his night a living hell. We did it pretty good to start the playoffs off last year. That is what we need to do because that line of Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak is absolute fire. If you can contain the trigger man, which is Pasternak, I think you're in for a win. We get these guys two times in four nights. So hopefully we can steal one or two of them away from the Boston Bruins. Guys, that is it this week. Let's go Leafs. Let's pick up the victory on Saturday night. Guys, thanks for checking everything out. Be sure to check out hashtag prediction season. Check us out between the periods. Shout out to everyone who watched live. That is so freaking awesome. We love all the support. Thanks, guys. We'll check you next time. Make sure you visit msfi.ca, the official sponsor of Offside Hockey Talk. (laughs) 